0: One, one, two, one, two. Now, here we go. You know what time it is. Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee.
1: First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now whether that's youtube spotify apple podcasts i'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that i'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time much love this podcast is sponsored by content so whether you're looking to remove any images videos search results fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee podcast and welcome to my London apartment, which I've stolen for the day off this man, this absolute weapon of an entrepreneur himself, a property entrepreneur, a property mogul, Mr. Tyler Newman. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to your apartment, my man.
0: Oh, thank you very much. That was probably one of the most energetic introductions to a podcast that I've ever been on. So, yeah, mate, good to have you,
1: here. mate. It's because I'm hyped. That's why. It's because I'm hyped, mate. I'm, I've been so hyped to do this. Uh, we've,
0: well, we've been connected for a while now. So, uh, I reckon, I reckon
1: about twelve, twelve months, probably, yeah. probably a bit longer, maybe eighteen. Yeah, probably, um, mate. Obviously, you've had a a great kind of journey so far, and the journey's not over. But I think we should give people a bit of an insight into how you've got to this point and obviously um Newman Rose and all that stuff that you're doing but Mm -hmm. I think the best place to start is growing up for you you grew up with a dad that was involved in estate agencies and stuff like that was it was it something that property because you were around that environment was property something that you kind of like always loved or is that something you kind of developed or
0: um yeah so I I've grown up in like I would say the perfect childhood because, you know, I come from a family where my dad is, both mum and dad work within the family business, of course, um, but successful entrepreneurs operating an estate agency business across the Midlands in the UK um, with several offices, big team. And I say perfect because although you know, had amazing things, went to a great school, lived in a nice house, had the nice holidays. I mean, living in London, I've I've been around kids that have literally come from billionaire families that have had everything and they're, they're miserable. So I was always on that fine cusp of not having too much, but never been without. But I think one of the most, one of the things that I'm most grateful for with my upbringing is kind of the, the values and the lessons and the belief systems my parents gave me. And a lot of people always make that conclusion. so oh, you went into property because because family business. But actually, looking back, I was wasn't exposed too much to the property side of the business. Maybe one or two summers I'd go in and when I was off school, help stuff envelopes in the office and whatnot. But for me, I was kind of in my mid to late teens, leaving school, I'd started a couple of businesses, like a couple e-commerce clothing brands It didn't really take off, but they were the first kind of times that I was exposed to entrepreneurship and running a business and the highs of making your first sale and your first bit of money. And then um, all the, well, I say all the lows, some of the lows that come with with entrepreneurship as well. But yeah, I had a a couple of businesses and it was leaving school in sixth form that I'd made the decision, one, I didn't want to go to university. And then two, um, I want to be able to live life on my own terms. And once you reverse engineer that, it often means becoming an entrepreneur and having a business of some kind. And so it was actually, I went to a free property seminar at the, what was the Cumberland hotel in London? So like 20 minutes away from here. Um, now the hard rock hotel actually went to it for the first time about a month or two ago. First time since I went to that free seminar when I was 17 um, for a YouTube video. I sure it was quite surreal, actually. But yeah, went to that. And then, and then of course, because my parents understood property, I'd go to the seminar and say, oh, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this. And they'd be able to help me and say, oh, have you considered this? And uh, it was always a, a conscious decision I did make early on is I wanted to be able to do my own thing. I never wanted to piggyback too much off, off my parents. Um, but Yeah. That's that's how we got started for me, really. Who was the property seminar by? Um, you know what? So actually, I don't like to mention his name because if you were to Google his name now, it says bankruptcy, uh, embezzled, or lost investor funds, and he's just got a bit of a bad reputation. But
1: I already know the guy. I already, uh, yeah 100% okay. I, I, know the guy, I know the guy straight away yeah I, if if he was one of the big ones that kind of really pumped on property on Facebook and Instagram and then back in, back in our time then yep. yeah I know who you're talking about yeah okay so we'll leave it at that then, then leave it yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it we'll leave it there because I, I don't want to be associated
0: yeah. with, with anything like that and definitely don't agree with how he conducted his business but credit to him he was how I got my start and exposed me to the exciting but I, I, world. I
1: suppose with with the with with people like that 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 mm-hmm. there are there are a lot of charlatans in property let's let's be for honest sure, there's yeah. a lot of people that talk about property that probably shouldn't be talking about property mm-hmm. um as we both know but the but as, in essence with with people like that you know maybe you know that's part of your journey maybe maybe your journey wouldn't be where it is now if, if you hadn't had gone there you know what i'm saying so yeah. it's it's kind of like one of those things where everything for a reason but yeah definitely um definitely guys if you're listening to this definitely be careful with who you take advice from, especially in property, UK, Australia, America, wherever you are. Make sure you take proper advice. But in like obviously, obviously you you got you then start to set up your set up your first property business. What, what was um,
0: that? yeah? So I went to went to the this first seminar, and then of course you get upsold into a, a three day event. Oh, you got upsold. I got upsold, but to be fair, the three day event was only like three or four hundred pounds, which for me as an eighteen year old, yeah, maybe I had a couple of thousand pounds in the bank account or probably less, just whatever proceeds I had from the last clothing brand um, that I made a bit of money on with some friends. So I went on this course and I was like, okay, one thing I've realized I need to do is one, I need to start generating an income. I need money coming in yeah. every month because if you've got no money, how are you going to buy property? And I need to start finding deals. And my goal, what I wanted to do was... Very simply, I just wanted to buy a house, either below market value or something I could add value to, put a new kitchen in, plaster the walls, refurb it, sell it for profit. For me at the time, that was the most exciting thing in the world. And if I could just do that, I'd I'd be the happiest kid. And of course, doing that as well, you need to raise a bit of money from investors. That was one thing I learned early on. And it's a big part of my property business now is working closely with investors and raising money. So... So actually, at the time, I, I decided to, and this will come full circle with it, where I'll, I'll begin to explain kind of one of the most recent business ventures. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start, start going looking at property deals, but I also want an income. And at the time, one of my, my dad's estate agency offices was just going through a bit of a change. They were putting a new manager in, new team. And there was this kid that was just about to start who was the same age as me, um, 18 years old. And the way that model worked with my old man and how he'd kind of employ his agents was, I say employ, they'd be self-employed, similar yeah. to the Australia-US model. So it's completely commission only. If you don't sell houses, you don't earn money. And so... Purely results driven. I thought, okay, that's fair enough. I'm not going to get any special treatment. I can go in there and I can start generating some some income, selling properties, and I'll be able to start kind of in this office where there was a new manager coming in that could support me. There was a couple other team members that were starting that I could learn side by side, and that was where I kind of first actually started to make a bit of an income. It took me six months to make my first paycheck, which was uh, three hundred and I think three hundred and fifteen or three hundred and twenty pounds in the region of for selling a. An eighty-five thousand pound flat um, in in Warwickshire, and just to learn as as much as I could, and that was the first kind of exposure I had to sales. It's where I made my first sales call, and if anyone's anyone's ever done sales calls, yeah, they'll always remember the first sales call where your your heart is pounding and you're sweating and you're so worried what did they're going to say. Did you have say.
1: a script and everything? uh
0: yeah, but then as soon as someone answers the phone, the script just goes out the window and you panic, and um, but. You, you know, that's that sales calls. And it was the first time I went and did door to door because one of the ways we generated new business was we'd go knock on doors. We'd go and say, hey, see so your property's up for sale, you know, how are you getting on? Can we help you? And um had door in fact the first few I did the doors actually got slammed in my face. I was like, Okay, can't get any worse than this. Um so yeah, started to generate a monthly income doing that, Re- really nothing special, just an average income. And Then in the background, I was going with other agents looking at properties on the market or again, doing some like what we call like direct to seller marketing where I'd I'd write leaf um, letters or have leaflets and I put them through doors of properties that looked a bit dilapidated say, hey, I'm a first time buyer. I'm a young property investor. I'd I'd be interested in making an offer on your property if you're thinking of selling. And I did that for a whole year and had no results. I'd, I'd make offers on properties and I'd get good sums. I had... One where it came down to getting the mortgage and all the the finance on the property and then the lender wouldn't lend against it. And then finally when I was um, just turning 19 years old, agreed to buy my first property, which is a two-bedroom terraced house for £82,000. And um, I put uh, 10% down as a down payment, as a deposit, which was some money that I'd saved up and earning money and then refurbed it on essentially or well, some credit cards some um investor funds from family and friends I say hey look i need to borrow five thousand pounds sign a loan agreement i'll pay you 10 percent on your money in four five six months time once um the property sold and then also just paycheck to paycheck there was like a four-month period where i'd have the money come in at the end of the month i'd pay whether it was the plasterers the plumbers or whatever and um yeah that was the first deal i did made about um the numbers were bought it for eighty two I spent uh twenty-five on no, bought it for eighty five, spent twenty-five on it. So I was all in for like one ten and sold it for like hundred and thirty. So I made like twenty, twenty five grand. I can't remember the exact numbers uh, on my it's social not, it's media. Not bad, it's
1: not bad on your first deal.
0: Oh so. yeah, I was I was like over the moon. I was buzzing and you start looking at auto trader and thinking, oh, what car can I buy now? But I was sensible enough to put it into another deal and then another deal and kind of just compounded it from there. But
1: isn't it interesting because on, on you, when, when you look at UK wages, yeah, 25 grand is a hell of a chunk towards most, p you know, a lot of people here are still earning 35, 40 K a year. Some, sure. some, some even less than that, mm-hmm. you know, 25 K chunk. You're thinking, you must be thinking at this point, I've just discovered the Matrix, you know. <laughs> it was it was
0: one of those paradigm shifts that you have in your life where it's like cause I, the income that I was making was probably around twenty five, twenty eight thousand pounds per year from the estate agency role. Some months you'd have five grand come in, some, and then the next month you'd have zero come in because you'd have a house a completion go through. But it was like, hold on, I've just made this amount of money in. Um, I think from very start to finish, it was actually about nine months. It was like the slowest refurb in the world because I, I had no idea what I was doing. But I've made that on this one deal, whereas I'm working day in, day out, every day, trying to sell houses. Um, And it was like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is how I can sort of get to that next level. And I love how you call it a paradigm shift because it,
1: because that's what it is for a lot of people. When you, when you realize the difference between like, you know, a more leveraged way of turning over money and earned income, yeah, that that, that when you, when you get that, when you can discover the disparity between the two, yeah, and it finally clicks in your head Mm -hmm. that it's, it's like, how could you ever go back? You can't, you can't, you can't ever go back to to, to being working a job.
0: That's, that's it. Yeah. You, you literally become. What do people say? They're like unemployable because once someone's ran a business or had that taste, it's it's very difficult to go back to that earned income model where you're you are trading your time for money.
1: How long did you stay in the earned income real estate agent model before you started to pivot completely into development?
0: So, so from from that moment, I, um, because it was commission only on the estate agency role. I was like, okay, if, if I do want to make more money doing this, how am I going to do it? And the the options are, you sell more houses, we sell more expensive houses, because you sell more houses, higher volume, you sell more expensive houses, it's obviously higher values, the, commission, the fees that you're going to get paid for selling the property can be higher and therefore the commission is higher. And then I saw an opportunity to transition to another brand where I could sell what we'd call the upper quartile of the market. And this was in... Um, Coventry so if anyone in the UK knows Coventry it's not really you know, associated with luxury property but there it was like anything about half a million pound plus with top values being about 1.1 1.2 million which would sell once in a blue moon so actually thought, okay let me move there I want to continue to learn about estate agency because it was teaching me so much about sales negotiation how to communicate effectively and I was also working with a lot of people that were um, at the kind of luxury end upper quartile of the market, a lot of the clients were suddenly now business owners and yes. high net worth individuals and so just being around those and you, you learn so much more whereas before if I was selling like 120 134, 140 thousand pound properties, it's not business owners that you're dealing with so um, I stayed in that model and worked there in, in Coventry for I want to say two or three years and uh, in the background was was kind of flipping houses did a couple um, nice ones which made a nice tidy profit and I was like okay again I want to if I want to earn even more money now how do I do that I was like okay I need to sell even more expensive properties and had a friend of mine who was working for the same brand in North London in an office in Cockfosters right at the very very top of London and he just started and he was telling me kind of what was going on down there is like the average. Property price is like two and a half, three million, and he's like, oh, "I've got this sale going through and make this much commission," and I. Your eyes are just like. Whoosh. Yeah, and then you start doing the the back of the envelope maths, or, or in your head, you think, "Well, if I can just sell the X amount of property, the fee income is going to be X, and then my commission is going to be X. I'm going to be living, you know, I'm going to be living good." So, I thought, right, I'd um, had a girlfriend at the time. I was like, okay, communicated like this is what. I think the next step for me is I want to move to London. She decided she wanted to come with me and told my friend, look, I'm going to come work with you. We agreed to do it. We thought we are going to be an amazing team. Moved down to that office in North London and the friend of mine I've been friends with for a while, without telling me, decided to move to a completely different agency. And then um, in that, that same week, and only found out after the fact and then I was starting to look at all of the listings that we had on the market and all the clients and all of the stock was just absolute crap. It was all overpriced. The sellers weren't motivated. And so I basically just went around and spoke to all of the clients said, hey, look, like the mar-, and the market was tough back then um, within that specific subset, um, that um, micro area of London. And I was like, there's a big disparity right now between what buyers are prepared to pay and what you're hoping to achieve. And so there's a decision that has to be made. Do you want to sell or do you want to stay? Because if you want to sell, we're going to have to be more aggressive. There's going to have to be a realignment of the prices. And there was just a lot of unmotivated sellers. And of course, commission only, if you're not filling Is up your pipeline. Not, if they're not motivated, then then you're not selling much. Exactly. And so actually, it was a very difficult period of my life where the money actually wasn't really coming in because nothing was really selling. And, Anything that was, it was just very, very difficult to put together. And then I was trying to work six, seven days a week. I was, well, miserable really on, on reflection. And then relationship broke down with a girlfriend and ended up moving out of the flat that I had and actually moved back to my parents, which is kind of, although I was happy living there when you're younger, but once you've moved out, you've experienced yeah. moving to London and um, to then move back with your tail between your legs ad- admitting failure, it was difficult. But that was a point where I was like, right, you know, how, how can I build back from here?
1: Was it a failure though? Or was it a lesson?
0: It was, it was an expensive lesson. And it was one of those things that I'm just so glad it happened because, I mean, there's, without a shadow of a doubt, I wouldn't be where I am now if, if that hadn't happened.
1: I think one of the things I've learned is one of the biggest um, things that takes a toll on any relationship is money. Mm-hmm. because once money's a problem now there's stress on that relationship and you have to, and you know men respond to that in certain different ways and and women respond in other ways and there's a disparity in that and that's when relationships break down i mean it's 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 something that you have to learn it's better to learn that earlier rather than later oh, for sure it? for like, sure do you know what i'm saying like what, what when you say you did you literally spend everything to, to and then end up with with not much at all? Um,
0: no, but you, your burn rate is high because you're burning through cash because you're renting an apartment in London, a two-bedroom apartment, which, although it's in North London and it wasn't it wasn't a glamorous place, it was nothing like we're here at today, um, but it was a couple grand a month and we were, I was splitting that between me and my missus at the time because she had a good income, but then as soon as she disappeared, suddenly I'm paying all of the rent and then had my car and then fuel and then... Um, before you know it, if, if you're spending a little bit. But I didn't go completely go- broke. I had um, cash in the bank that I'd saved and I'd put into other investments, but it was more so the... Ah, the humbling, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a humbling moment. I was like, okay, maybe I'm not as invincible as I think I am and your ego takes a bit of a hit, but I... And I'd, I'd taken a step back on the property investing and developing side of things. I was like, I'm going to move to London. I'm going to focus 100% on, on building up income and pipeline there and making a name for myself. But then I was like, okay, I should go back, start from scratch and figure out what I want to do, which is when the kind of plans for everything that I do now started and led me to to here.
1: So In relation to when you say you start, did you start to kind of sit down and and, and kind of assess what you actually truly wanted in life at this point? Because obviously you're sat there at your mum's house, Mm -hmm. you know, you're back kind of without being, without being around the bush, you're back to what seems to in your head be like where you started.
0: It right. feels it,
1: worse, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it feels worse because you've been somewhere better, and now you've had to come somewhere where where you don't mm-hmm. feel as better. Even though you love your mum, you love your dad, all that stuff, yeah, but you you don't want to be living them with them after you left. Mm-hmm. Is it, it, it what what kind of processes do you put in place to to map out your your journey? Because I know when we were talking before the podcast. And me and you have a similar mindset on this. We were talking about like kind of vision boards and and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that you've used in your life. What, is this kind of things that you started to put into place at that point?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a long. It was a while ago now. It was a, probably four years back. So I'm trying to remember exactly where my head was at. But first, kind of month or two, I just took a complete break, a complete breather. Just think, like you say, okay, what exactly is it? Do I want? And for me, it was the actual property investment development side of things was always what I wanted to do but yeah. the thought of buying another terrace property putting in the same howden's kitchen plastering whatever that excitement had lost because I'd done it however many yeah, yeah, times yeah,
1: yeah. if you, once you've done that 15 times you don't want to do that anymore
0: yeah, yeah. so I was like well, what I want to do is the bigger deals and maybe it's just it's definitely just my personality type but like any entrepreneur, you'd constantly want next level, next level, next level. And I thought, what is the next level for me? Well, it's going to be sort of ground up developments, acquiring land, building from the ground up. In my mind, that was how you make the, the big money because you, you refurb a house, let's say making on average 20 to 30,000 pounds profit per house. Like I say, if you want to make more money, you either do more or you do bigger. I was like, oh, I don't want to do more, I'd rather do bigger. And then my current business partner Rosie, Rosie Cassidy now who whenever I'm doing these podcasts I feel like she should be with me because she's like equally when it comes to the business she's just an absolute superstar but she we, we'd known each other from school and while I was going through whatever I'd been through over the last few years I'd always been kind of observing her from a distance and she's got um, an incredible family business in the property development space and she's just an absolute wizard and when it comes to property development and land development and kind of reached out to her and, and conversations started happening and just stars aligned where she wanted to take a step away from her family business because she wanted to do something on her own her old man wasn't gonna give up the reins anytime soon and just like me wanted to prove a point that we can do it on our own and so we started our development company now um newman rose We actually, it took a long time to get off the ground while we were working on other bits. And then also that's where the education company started that we also have together. Because at the time, she was consulting for other developers and other like land and new home agencies or estate agents that focus on selling land and of course new homes. But she was consulting like one-on-one on on a weekend. So it's taking up a Saturday and Sunday. And yeah, she was like charging money for it but she was also getting like great reviews from it but she's like it's taking up so much of my time how can i scale this i was like rosie just like for me it was obvious just productize it all of this knowledge that you have all of these frameworks and ideas and strategies and, and knowledge that you're giving people just let's just productize it into some form of online program we can just record it and then we can sell it for the same price or a little bit more than what you charge charging for consultation but it's just more scalable and actually it's more valuable for them because they can instead of only having an afternoon or a day with you they've suddenly got 20 30 hours worth of content and they can have live group calls with you and anyone else kind of on the program and so she was very much the head coach I helped to build it and I was completely in in the in the background and to be fair I still am My knowledge now is more around finance and raising finance and capital structures and the compliance side of things. So I help our students with that. But that was where our education company gets started. And to put it simply, we just help anyone that's like an existing property investor that wants to transition and get to the next level by transitioning to ground up developments and doing the bigger deals. Maybe they're in a similar situation to me where they've been doing small refurbs or HMOs or whatever. And then the other kind of avatar of people we help is like contractors that are builders and they've building, been building out other people's developments, but they've never been able to make the full transition to being the developer themselves. And so really they just need to fill in their, their gaps in the knowledge of around finding the land, um, doing the financial appraisals, raising the money for it, how to structure that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the education business, which we, we still have today, as well as the development thing.
1: So many moving pieces in development though in there.
0: Uh, more than you could ever, ever imagine. Yeah. I
1: saw a deal you recently um, acquired, mm-hmm. and it was it was one in Cambridge here, and I know that it was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong, but it was something like the the way that the plans were drawn. Mm-hmm. There would or you you purchased a piece of land. Must round a couple of mil. The way the plans were drawn, you you saw from your knowledge Mm -hmm. that you could fit more houses and more more developments on that land. So the upside to you buying that piece of land was the fact that you could add another million million onto it or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. So break that that down for me because that was really interesting.
0: So one of our one of our developments we've got at the moment that is actually more tangible that we can show. So we've got two. Deals which we're taking through planning permission at the minute, which unfortunately both of them were under NDA on. I can say a little bit about them, but then the main one that we're about to start construction on in the next um, week or two is in Cambridge, it's to build 17 houses. 12 of those are kind of two and a half thousand square foot, three and four bedroom detached homes. And then five are kind of affordable small bungalows at the front. We agreed to buy that, Coming up to what, over eighteen months ago, and it's a two and a half acre site in a beautiful village in Cambridgeshire. We bought it for nine hundred thousand pounds, and it had outline planning permission. So, for context, in the UK, you can have? You can only build if you've got full planning permission. Outline planning permission is essentially the local council, the local authority, approving the concept of development you've just got to submit another application to kind of finalise some final... The, the details on what the development... The details, is, yeah. whether that's landscape, whether that's design, et cetera, et cetera. So we bought it with Outline and thought, okay, we just need to submit a Reserve Matters application, it's called, and then we'll get the full planning. But um, I don't want to give ourselves more credit than we deserve. And But I kind of knew from dealing with property and being in hundreds of kind of luxury homes and and Rosie with her knowledge of like designing floor plans and um, and our architects or well our, our architects have been amazing we said like these are the outline plans they were the the detached homes they were like had plans for like 1500 square foot we thought without even increasing the the footprint of the properties we can increase the square foot livable area just by redesigning the upstairs with kind of a different um, different roof structure and basically did that, improved the aesthetics as well because previously it looked very uninspiring and just by doing that we added about 8,000 square feet of internal area to the overall design and of course 8,000 square feet at 300 pound a square foot Um, soon racks up so adds like another 2.4 million say to the (laughs) to the GDV, not all of that is profit because by building more property there's also more construction costs but the land cost is the same because 'cause you've already paid for that. Um, a lot of the professional fees are still gonna be the same. The the tax uh section one oh six contributions, which is the tax developers pay to council, still the same. So it added another about it took the profit from about nine hundred K to what's probably gonna be closer to two million at this point by the time we're done. So
1: over doubled the profit yeah. of the project. Yeah. That, my friends, is how you <laughs> you know when you when you get the knowledge of, of what Tyler's talking about in in wherever you are in the world when you get the knowledge to be able to look at a plan look at something that's drawn and before you buy it cuz pro- profit is all made before you buy in property right For sure yeah. and it's like you've you've seen that plan you've seen it and you can see that you know that, that this just rejigged works a whole lot better and i think that's obviously We we went through a few of your trials and tribulations and your and your setbacks to start off with, and then Mm -hmm. to to be able, but but that's all set you up now to be able to go and look at something and 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 extract that much value with your mind because Mm -hmm. you, and this is why I think this is the most powerful tool in the world. So what? My question is then, like what are you doing to facilitate your your mindset and, and grow that like what have you done to to get to this point because it's not all just learning on the job in property there's a lot of mindset piece that goes into the back of this
0: um so I don't want to be cliche, but maybe I'll give a more specific answer in a second but i've I've always been obsessed with self development and I think again this is one of the things that I've just had from my family my mum my and dad are the same they've always been the one to have kind of books lying around the house or going to seminars and I've always been the same and actually, I went to that property seminar when I was 18 years old but what I also didn't mention is like for that first two years after I left school every week at least like one or two days out of the week I was on some kind of networking event seminar course I was just obsessed with just I almost didn't see it as spending, I don't see it as spending money still, it's just investing money in myself because I thought the number one like lever that I can pull to increase my income is just increase increase my knowledge yeah. and increase my skills. And the more valuable skills I have, the more knowledge I have, the more money I can earn. And when you're young, you think, you know what, I can afford to spend money, I can afford to kind of just keep reinvesting in myself. To be honest, anyone at any age can afford to do it. But the idea of, think you know what i'm happy to go a few years without kind of hoarding cash and putting into other investments i was like i'd rather just invest it into people that are ahead of me and that's been the main thing so kind of what i do now if i want to get good at something and i do this a lot in property is i'm constantly looking for who is further ahead of me way ahead of me in terms of like decades and decades and decades and and just look at the patterns and reverse engineer. So when it comes to real estate, I'm a big fan of like Blackstone, for example, one of the biggest owners of real estate in the world and the head of their real estate arm, John Gray. I'll I'll watch anything that I can watch on him or, or Sam Zell, all these guys that are just billionaire real estate investors and you can just learn so much from them. But they're obviously way ahead. You can learn just as much from people that may be a year or two ahead of you. And um that's 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 the main thing. Always trying to see what I can learn from other people because whether they're charlatans or not, you can you can learn something from from everyone. I think
1: uh, yeah, because like even though the some of the some of the early days charlatans that that were selling and and shilling these property courses, they may not have been good at the property side of things mm-hmm. and. But what they were good at is they had great direct sales. They had great models for getting people off social media for and sure. into a free seminar. From the free seminar, they upsell them. Mm-hmm. There's a that that in its that model has been working for years. But to do that successfully and to make millions of pounds out of that model, you, you know, you got to be you got to have a good strong strong system to to, to re, re, repeat that, haven't you?
0: It becomes a, a full time business for them, and by doing that it takes their time and energy away from running a property business as well as they could, which we're also aware of. We we always say, um, myself and Rosie, Rosie especially, that we are developers first and, and educators second. 90% of our time spent day-to-day is on our own development business and, and learning from others and investing in our in ourselves to constantly improve our knowledge. And then we've got kind of a great system set up where we can still help people at, some scale but we're not full-time in a classroom teaching people and doing seminars all day every day yeah um it's all online based so
1: well, as as your knowledge goes up the knowledge and the the scale you can have with the education business goes up as well if you keep the two side by side
0: for sure because the more knowledge we get the more valuable we become as as teachers and just what we've learned over the last 12 months for example around kind of finance and compliance and and again um like a couple paradigm shifts where it's like, holy shit, okay, like if you can apply this to a property-driven business, it makes things so much easier. Um, I, could, I could think of a few examples when it comes to, to raising finance. Some of the the compliance solutions we've come up with and, and worked on is uh, just unlocked this massive bottleneck of being able to raise finance, raise equity at scale for these deals without breaching kind of FCA regulations, um, which is one thing that, not a lot of other educators um, seem to talk about, but but yeah, um...
1: it, it just it just it just the more the the way that you've invested in your education, the way that you're model, you, you're basically what you're saying to people is model. Look out in the marketplace in whatever you're doing, whether it's property or whatever else, and model what someone else is doing, what works. So have someone a couple of years ahead of you, have someone that's way ahead of you, but then model model what works from 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 all of them and essentially what you're saying is play long-term games with long-term people yep because you know which is an avile yeah you know because you're looking you're going to be a property developer in 10-15 years because this this is your game Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people to get into a lot of things it's like podcasting to me is is a long-term pursuit for me because i Mm -hmm. because i'm like right i like this i'm in it i'm in it now and what happens is a lot of people pick property development and they want to be in it for a couple of years and make a lot of money and they want to go into podcasting and be number one inside inside one year. And it just, from what you've learned, what why is it important to you to be a long-term vision person?
0: Well, it's the biggest competitive advantage you can have. The longer the time horizon you're willing to play, you, you know, the the bigger the competitive advantage because the majority of people are very short-sighted and they just want to like you say want want the results quick and this was a conversation me and my boys were having out in in Marbella recently and which I didn't get invited to (laughs) um, (laughs) but it was I mean you know you know a couple of the guys a few of the guys that were there it was just four or five a couple uh, of them have refused the podcast lads what are you doing Oh, we'll get them on. We'll get them on. But yeah, like five business owners are all killing it. Some of them exit their businesses for like eight figures. I mean, I think the combined revenue of of us as a group in the villa was like 100 million plus per year. Just a conversation to have amazing. We kept coming back to like, what are the most common patterns we see amongst the most successful people that we've even spent time with physically? And it is, it just kept coming back down to, they've just done one thing for a very long Long time. time. And they've just focused on the one thing and they've just, yeah, they've just pursued it for a long time and it sucked for the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year. But, but before you know it, a decade in, they're almost a master at their craft and and whatnot. So uh, property investment for me is the vehicle that I want to play for the next however many decades. Pro- property investment development. So, um, yeah. and I think it's also about picking a vehicle
1: that can... Facilitate what you want to achieve as well. Yeah. So it, it, it's not just about playing long term. It's about what, how much money do I want? How mm-hmm. much wealth do I want? How much of everything do I want? Right now, I need to pick an, a, a pick a, pick a vehicle that's appropriate to achieve in that. Because that's what I never did. Mm-hmm. I had a wealth goal in my mind, mm-hmm. but the vehicle was wrong. Yeah. Now, a lot of people that listen to this podcast will have a some people. Some of you won't have a goal. You need goals. Mm-hmm. You need goals. You need frameworks for what you will and won't accept in your life. I've told sure. I've told them that 17 times this podcast before. <laughs> but if this is the first podcast, you need frameworks for for values on what you will and won't accept. We'll talk. I reckon we'll talk into that. But you know, it's really important that you make sure you pick the vehicle that can actually get you to the goal because that is something that I think myself included, I've, I've fell short on.
0: Very true. Very true. I mean, Alex hormozy, who's popular recently, talks about it a lot and I think got it from Charlie Munger. Is like, it's like, uh, it's less important how hard you row than the boat that you're in. And it's important to be in a bigger boat, a better boat than be on a small canoe rowing hard. Or if you speak to any poker players, they'll say, would you rather be incredibly good at poker or be playing the games against the billionaires who don't really care if they lose or not, who aren't that skilled? It's game selection. You'd rather, you'd rather play the more lucrative games. And that, that's, that is so true. It, it's so true. <laughs> so and true. It comes down to, like you say, having the goals. And it's, I've talked about the decisions I made. It was constantly like, okay, if I want to make more money doing this, how can I do it? And you start reverse engineering. Well, oh, if I want to make, let's say I want to make a million a year, let's say I want to make a million pounds profit a year. How many houses would I have to flip making 25,000 pounds a time mm. to do that in one year? Think okay, well that's probably not possible. It's going to be an operational nightmare, let alone finding it's too many deals. buyers, too many yeah. sellers. And so it's like okay, well then you can do maybe bigger deals. And okay, if I want to do the bigger deals, then the thing is I haven't got enough money to go buy a piece of land for nine hundred thousand and then spend five million pounds or six million pounds building out all these houses. Think well, how do I do that? And then you look at. What are the most successful people do? And they look at Blackstone and you see that they've built a multi-hundred billion, a four, five hundred billion dollar real estate portfolio. So how have they done that? Well, they've raised three hundred, four hundred billion dollars from private investors to be able to do that. And then you start looking at, the example I always come back to when I'm kind of explaining this point to people is you look at One Hyde Park, which is beautiful development opposite Harrods. One of like, one thing I always kind of looked up to growing up in property, I always think of Candy Brothers and you'd walk past Harrods and you'd see it. You go on the Wikipedia page and you see that it's a joint venture between the Candy Brothers and a billionaire politician from um, the Middle East. think, oh, so they didn't use their own money. They used um, investor funds. And that's when you have that paradigm shift. It's like, oh, shit. All this time I'm thinking I need to be using my own money. I need to be saving money, saving money, reinvesting it. And actually, I can just partner with people. OPM. OPM that are cash rich, time poor, and I mean it sounds so simple saying it out loud, but it was one of those things for a long period of time, it just didn't really click. So that's become a huge part of our business now that in order to do the size of the deals that we're doing, it's we're partnering people that are putting in um, putting in money and investing with us.
1: I think one of the one of the game changing things I've seen in property is when Grant Cardone started taking hmm. taking money off everyday people, you know? Mm-hmm. Because obviously you know, that's how Cardone capital scaled. From like 250 million to like two or three billion in real estate.
0: Five and a half now. Really? I was just with him out in Miami last month for like six days. I say with him, I was at one of his events. Yeah. That's brilliant, bro. What's we'll he we'll we'll like in real life? Um, so there's a lot you can learn from Grant. And when <laughs> funny enough, when I went out there and posted it on social media like as a Grant Cardone event, you wouldn't believe the amount of DMs I had. It's like, I can't believe you've paid money to go see Grant Cardone. He's a fraud, he's a charlatan. And I think that's a very... It's um, easy to
1: label him like that. It's
0: easy to label him like that. And that is a very... It's easy um, to
1: label any Scientologist like that. <laughs> oh, true.
0: <laughs> but this, to, to instantly think, why would you go and learn from someone like that is a very limiting belief system. It's not a nice belief system to have. Like I've said earlier, my, I believe you can learn something from everyone. And you don't have to agree with everything everyone does to be able to kind of learn from someone. And I'm thinking, well, this guy's built... Five and a half billion dollar real estate portfolio that's made him pretty much almost a billionaire now in the last five six years, most of it in the last couple of years. Um, okay, there's something I can learn from him here, and of course we'd maybe I don't get, I don't want to get to the complexities of it, but there's. Um, a difference between what we can do in the UK with the financial conduct authority when it comes to raising money from social media versus out there they have the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission that's their regulatory body they've got a lot a bit more freedom where they can crowdfund at scale they can do financial promotions in the uk it's a lot more heavily regulated, but that's one of the kind of the things that I've spent the last eighteen months solving fortunately, and so I think, okay we've kind of got proof of concept now and figured out a way that we can do it in the UK. I want to fly to the us and I want to see how Grant does it. And probably the, the one thing I learned from Grant, actually, the, the most important thing um, is that he is an entertainer. And so they have, they recently set up Cardo Ventures. I don't know if you've heard of Cardo yeah, Ventures yeah, yeah, yeah. with Brandon Dawson and his wife, Natalie. Brandon Dawson's a wizard, mate. He is an absolute beast. And I didn't really know too much about them. I'd watch a couple of their YouTube videos, but if you look at their YouTube channels, they've got, probably only a few thousand subscribers, nothing, Then heavily leveraging the 10X brand that Grant has built. So for context, Brandon Dawson, his story is he built a business up to 100 million, sold it, made a lot of money, um, I think it was 150 million maybe, and then consulted another business and took them from a billion to four billion, and then wanted to essentially create his own consulting or private equity firm or whatever, and just wanted to partner with somebody who whose audience he could leverage. So he partnered with Grant three years ago. They've built a successful business. So Brandon comes on stage, I think on day one of this event and he talks about kind of Cardin Ventures. And I am blown away by the level of this guy's knowledge when it comes to scaling a business from 1 million to 10 million to 50 million to 100 million. And I started meeting people that have been through kind of Brandon's trainings and have taken their business from three million dollars a year revenue to sixty million a year, and like so many kind of success stories that you just at that point can't deny that okay this guy knows this guy knows what he's talking about his shit, and the thing is he talks at such a high level and then Grant comes on and Grant the information that he's actually teaching from the stage is very very basic stuff and actually he's, I'm not going to discredit him I'm not going to say he's not a great teacher but he is just an entertainer. When he's up on the stage in the front of the, of the room at this event of like a thousand people in the room, he's just there. he just wants to make people laugh and he just wants to make it entertaining. But that is also why he's been able to cultivate such a huge audience because entertainment is just mass market. Everybody yeah. wants to be entertained, which is why Brandon, on the other hand, has always struggled to build the audience because as smart as he is, yeah. it's not got the entertainment factor that Grant has.
1: Well, it's all... It's... it's, it's- all it is is like, can you capture attention? And mm-hmm. if you can, how much attention can you capture? Mm-hmm. And then, when you've captured it, how do I turn that attention into money? Which Grant is a master of. Which mm-hmm. is the key? Once w- w- that's where most people fall down. Mm-hmm. They capture attention. They struggle turning attention into money. Yeah, that that is that is the domino where most people don't knock it over. And it's, it's the biggest, it's the biggest domino of them all. But when you do master it the way that you cannot help, you cannot help by looking at someone like Grant Cardone and think to yourself, mm-hmm. mate, uncle G, uncle like, G, literally <laughs> like, like, like that's, and that's why, and that's another thing, the way he frames himself, mm-hmm. he frames himself as uncle G Yep, because then everyone's got an uncle, yep. right? And everyone's got a favorite uncle. Mm-hmm. so the reason he frames himself as uncle g psych- psychologically is because uncle g is better than like father or or, or if you if you think of father and mother as figures mm-hmm. you don't want to listen to father and mothers but you'll always listen to your uncle
0: very true i've not thought about that
1: no one thinks about that that's why he framed it as that it's all it's all perception he frames it like that so that you um you you wanna you everyone wants to work with your uncle g
0: and he plays the family card so well as well, especially online, but especially at the event, he'd bring his two little daughters up on stage, his wife up on stage, and you can't help, but like the money aside, you're just inspired by how much of a family man he is and how amazing yeah. his kids are and his, and his relationship is. And just on that last point about what you talked about, kind of like opportunity vehicles or the vehicle to get to that level of wealth or, or game selection in the context of poker, not only Grant has been amazing at building an audience, he's also picked the perfect vehicle to monetize the audience, which is real estate, which is almost not infinitely scalable, but you're not going to run out of real estate to buy. And yeah, well, it's, it's,
1: it, he he sells off all his spin-off products as well, which is which is you know so he's built a whole suite of systems into doing this. But I think the key thing, um what I've learned from that is that, and what I want you all to pick up on is the fact of like Tyler's willing and open even though he is successful at a very high level of the game Mm -hmm. he's willing to go and sit with and go and say okay what is it i don't know yeah that's the key question is okay what first question what is it i don't know Mm -hmm. second question is who fucking does know it yes you know what i mean like okay and then okay what am i missing okay cool i'll go there and you'll see okay i'm missing this this and this and this now that domino that that Rather, we can we can all throw hate and all throw shade mm-hmm. on different people in our the There's, I could I could look, I look at podcasters and like, some of them I'm like fuck, but you're shit, mm-hmm. but you are, but you're massive, but you're shit. Yeah, they're not fucking shit, are they? That's my ego. Yeah, right. What is it I don't know then? Yeah, because there's something I fucking don't know because you're there and I'm here. So mm-hmm. there's something I don't know. That's that's what we have to. We all have to remove that. That has to fuck off, mm-hmm. and we have to kind of get real. And the real thing is someone out there that like grant that might only the only thing that pisses pisses you off is the fact that you're not there where exactly. he is that's yep. what a lot of people do so they hate on you but you can learn so much from 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 investing in yourself like that and that's what it is and i think when you when you start to quit the big one of the biggest things i learned in life is question every fucking thing yeah Where did I get that fucking belief from? Yeah. And why has that been instilled in me? And what
0: And do I I really believe it? Do
1: I actually believe that? Do, do, Do 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 because I was I walked past um uh, a school playground the other day right and there was these secondary school kids and they're all out there just kicking the football together all different colours nationalities and all this stuff and there's no animosity there and I'm thinking so why is there problems in the world man because mm-hmm. nobody's taught you that yep. like so where does that get taught that gets taught at par- parental level yeah mm-hmm. all the psychology of what everyone's dealing with and all the limited psychology of everything you're dealing
0: with whether you like it or not mm-hmm. came from your home and you just need to reverse engineer where that belief came from and whether it's a positive or it's a constructive belief or a destructive belief, and it takes a lot of self awareness to do that. Um, I think the
1: identity is key. Yeah, the identity is key, and being willing to look, mm-hmm. being willing to look at all your shadows, all your all. You know, I'm always trying to ascertain where 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 I'm. What something triggered me earlier, right? Okay, the situation I was facing in London. Something triggered me, and I and I reacted a certain way. And I what thought, was it?
0: Let's talk about it. <laughs> just, just,
1: okay. It? It's was okay. a change. It triggered me and I reacted and I thought, I've seen this Frankie before <laughs> and, and this has something to do with fucking ego, bruv. Yeah. And you need to rein the fucker in. This is last night. I told you about okay. it for the podcast, right? Yeah. And I thought, this is all down to ego. This yep. is fucking all down to ego, mate. And you, you need to, you need to meditate. So I went and meditated and I come out of the meditation. And I learned a little bit about myself.
0: Okay.
1: The point I'm trying to make, Tyler, and the point I want everyone to get who's listening to this podcast is the fact of, like, you have to be willing to check yourself mm-hmm. and ask yourself, I've seen this fucker before, yep. and I and I don't really want to turn up as a set... I don't, I, I don't really want to turn up as that guy again. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to... I don't want to be that, so I'm going put to put things in place that change it. And that's personal development. It's just being able to identify... Yeah, what's come from your childhood and what triggers are there, and c- try and like. I think we just essentially Tyler. What I'm saying is, I think we're all going through like a, a like a remote with a load of buttons. Yeah. We want to take all the buttons off so that people can't fucking press them mm-hmm. because the less bu- buttons that the less buttons that you have on your remote control that people can press and get a reaction out of you. Yeah. That's already pre-programmed in you. The fucking better. I
0: love that. I love that. So true. So, and he, he, like, and I saw that firsthand. Like I say, when I went out to Grant Cardone, And had all these DMs of people saying, "Why would you go and learn from him? He's a fraud. He's a charlatan." And I'd just be like, "You really think you couldn't learn one thing from this guy?" And ego is probably the thing that gets in the way of most people's growth and personal development. You think, oh, I don't need to pay for people to to learn from them, or know, they must be a scammer. They must be a fraud if they're selling their knowledge with information, but.
1: Yeah. See, I, see, I had a, I had a big beef years ago, mm-hmm. and this was all down around my own limiting beliefs of like I bought a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. from a lot of people, courses and this and that and that, and I saw the value in it. But then I used to resent some people for selling their knowledge because of how much money they were making and stuff like that. And there was okay. a resentment issue because mm-hmm. I, I thought to myself, and as jo- Joseph Valente said to me on the other podcast the other day, he's like, you know. He, he did this and he did this and then he and then he had a successful podcast and then he started selling a podcasting course. And I'm like what Joe did, which is so he doesn't let anyone limit his fucking thinking. He just mm-hmm. goes, Well, I've had a successful podcast, so I'll start selling a podcast course then and I'm I don't give a fuck what anyone says. <laughs> like and it's just that is that is that is beautiful because that's raw entrepreneurship. It's 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 having that essence of like, no, I have value to give here, mm-hmm. so I'll just give it and I think I can package it into something that's saleable, and I think everyone that listens to this has something that they can package in the way that you've packaged your real estate stuff mm-hmm. that you should sell. And I think is I think the online education business I was looking, I think it was Alex Hormozy was saying was was, was going to grow by billions and billions For and sure. billions. It's one of the fastest growing spaces, online education,
0: and it's just replacing traditional education because traditional education, i.e., the school system and the higher. Education system, universities is just so broken. Break down then for for me because mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure this out
1: for myself. Is like minimum viable product in terms of in because because I believe in the minimum viable product because sure. yeah. I presume, knowing how much of a G you are, I presume <laughs> you sold it before you built it.
0: No, we didn't. Right. Okay. But, walk me walk me through that. But on retrospect, we should have. I think the the proof of concept we had actually that was was Rosie back then was already consulting and selling the same information for free. It's just we're productizing it differently, but we we sold it before we finished it. I think about fifty. Once the product was about fifty percent finished, yeah, and we said, right, okay, we've spent like months. It was such a slow and convoluted way that we decided to build it. We wanted to pack it with with detail and information, make sure we hadn't missed anything. And about 15, it was like you know what, let's let's just see what the uptake is. Let's see what the feedback is before we spend even more time and money yeah. building out the remaining uh, part of the program. So, uh, yeah, we it was a should have sold it before we'd even um, before we'd even started. And I'll tell you why, actually, for those listening, we've recently and it was just out of out of demand. Rosie and I. Had various students that just wanted to more one on one with us. They just wanted one on one, and we were like, we don't want to do one on one. We don't really want to be selling our our time for money. We've kind of created this this content portal, and we've got the live group calls and whatnot. And you can you can message us on on the communication channel that we have. But terms but they were like well, they'll pay what it's worth because property development the the outcome that you're essentially selling is is very valuable. If someone can go and do their first development or a bigger development the money they're going to make is is life-changing and it's also why we only work with very select people because this is like a a career change this isn't like a little side hustle we're teaching you to start this is where you need to throw everything at it and it's going to require a lot of time and and effort and sacrifice but we decided to just do some one-on-one with a few people and by doing the one-on-one we've actually learned more about how we can help people than we 'd ever known before, yeah, and now we had a few like conversations with a few people on the one on one side of things you see you 've
1: seen white space where there was no white space before exactly,
0: and we're like, oh you know we should have been teaching this way the whole way around because this is where people are getting confused or they 're not taking the right amount of action or the mistakes that they 're making, so yeah, a I, valuable lesson I, I
1: keep referring back to him, but he's an he 's an absolute wizard, but Homozi, mm-hmm. right, Alex Homozi was saying that even when he was doing millions and millions and millions in sales from his sales guys at his business, at his gym launch business, he said he still took sales calls because he still wanted to stay close enough to the customer so he could see where the white spaces were. So it's similar to what you're saying. It's like the further you get away from the client yep. and, the, and and delivering, I know you're still property developing over here, so you're not getting away from that, but like mm-hmm. the further you get away from the educational client and what their, and what their needs are, the, the, you know, you can't exactly see, you know, so which components they're struggling with and where these opportunities are. And if you just take on like one or two mm-hmm. a month, yeah. it just gives you that opportunity to keep the finger on the pulse to be able to say, okay, ah, oh, I see this now. So that, so that this part of permitted development or whatever, whatever, or this type of rear development needs, we mm-hmm. need, we need a unit on that because. There's an opportunity there or there's another course spin off there. It just gives you you've got you've always got to stay close to the with your nose to the window, so to speak, of what of what you're actually doing. So you can actually give some insights and pivots in there. Very true. I think um, that that's that's something I think both of us here have missed out on it in, in For things. Sure. But I think we can re- refer back to that. But mate, in regards to Moving forward for you and everything you're scaling now. Obviously, we're sat in this. We're sat in the most beautiful location in London. <laughs> I mean, looking now, we've got we got we got big Ben out the front here. I mean, this must. I said to you at the start of this po- podcast in the kitchen. Everything happens twice. Mm-hmm. It's once created in the mind and then it's created in reality. How have you? I've, I know you've done it through property development. I get it mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. I get it. How have you created this vision for yourself and and brought yourself into this level of living?
0: So, so it's a funny story about this apartment. Actually, I back at the moment when I'd I'd moved to London, North London. Things didn't go too well. Moved back home. There was I've still got the documents somewhere on my on my old laptop. It was like okay, what what do I want? And I remember. Just opening up a Google Doc and just writing like, "What does a perfect version of my life look like?" And it was like, what—not only the business, but what clothes do I wear? What restaurants do I go to? Who do I hang around with? Where do I live? But then also the minor details. So, part of the document was, and I and I wrote this like when I was like, I don't know what I'm doing next. Um, a friend of mine that I'd followed on social media for quite a while lived in the building just next door. To here, actually, it's all part of the same development built by the same developer, but it's a different architecture, different building, but same views across the river here with all the landmarks in the background. And I was like, okay, well, I'd love to live there. For me, living in London with a beautiful view, I'm a sucker for views. I want to live there, and that was part of it. So I was like, oh, I want to live in this building that's that's called this. I want to have a fully. I want to be able to wake up each morning go down to my spa where there's a, there's a sauna and a steam room and whatnot downstairs and then I we'll want to sit at work at my desk overlooking the river with a brand new fully specced MacBook and a 34-inch curved LG widescreen. I want to have a Lamborghini Huracan in the garage downstairs and I want to be able to surround myself with like-minded individuals and go to these restaurants and then I think... Eighteen months later, like it was a reality, and I'd completely forgotten about the document until I, f- I remembered it, and I, th- I pulled it up, and it was literally um, word for word. I, 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 cr- and it's because I was obsessed about it. It was not because I I didn't read the document and then just forget about it. I write the document and forget about it. I was like, that was generally what I really wanted. That was a life. That was a vision I had. And I mean, I've got the MacBook here, the screen. I've got the the apartment overlooking the river I don't have the car now but I had I had the car I got that out my system and for me it was just a question of when not if I know that's quite cliche but it was just an obsession that I had and then the real learning curve came once you'd achieved it and then suddenly you have to question well what's my compelling vision of the future now what do I want next the materialistic stuff I've ticked off I've got the car and and The roof over my head that I wanted and and the income that I need to kind of live a life where I can sort of go to the places I want to do and and hang out with the people I want to hang out with and travel wherever and then suddenly your motivation has to change because constantly wanting more and more materialistic stuff is only just going to end one way it's just you're never going to be happy but yeah and that that was probably the biggest learning curve that I had over the last couple of years is like fuck I need to really reevaluate
1: when you wrote that document mm-hmm. you're obviously visioning
0: mm-hmm. you're
1: obviously visioning what your life looks like so you can one of the most important things that Joe Dispenza talks about and I'm going to see him this week for 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 this meditation retreat that I'm going on one of the things he talks about is, is the most important thing is to feel like you've already got it okay do you rem- when you think think back to writing that document did you ever at any point feel
0: like you already had it can I can I tell you an even better example and I want to get my phone for this one you may or may not have seen this have you ever seen the tweet that I put out no okay so I'm gonna go on my twitter I'm gonna have to scroll back a little bit but I'll find it so I mean it sounds very of course it's materialistic but one of the biggest goals that I ever had was I wanted a Lamborghini and it all stemmed from I remember being in I was like one of these kids that was kind of into cars but didn't really know much about cars and then in year 10, year 11 it was at school, I was sat in IT, the computer class, next to my friend who I'm actually still friends with and I am seeing him later this week. And we had to do this project. We had to build out a slideshow or some animation about a particular topic. I chose cars. And so one of the lessons is you should go research all the resources you want. And so I just, come in, what I typed into YouTube, but it pulled up a Top Gear clip of Richard Hammond driving what was at the time, the new Lamborghini Aventador. And I don't know, I didn't even know what a Lamborghini Aventador looked like until that video. And I watched that and something just, like any kid seeing a Lamborghini for the first time, you just have this like, oh my God, that is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. It's like a fighter jet on wheels. And I was like, that's, I want, I, I need one of those at some point in my life. Like, and, I just fell in love with cars and just became obsessed, obsessed, obsessed and then once I got a taste for entrepreneurship and starting a business and doing the self-development stuff and learning about goal setting I could I could tell you a few examples of this actually one of them was so the main one was I wanted a Lamborghini so I'd be in my first car which was a 2003 Volkswagen Golf so it was like 13, 14 years old I bought it for like a couple grand had 120,000 miles on the clock it was manual didn't even have a it was just a cassette player and i'm you know I'm not old enough where I had cassettes, so couldn't listen to any music or it was in my earphones, but I would drive round, imagining I'm in a Lamborghini I'll drive this country roads to school, and I like,, oh, how good would it feel to drive this car through here and so if I find the tweet, so there was a point where here we go, so on the twelfth of December two thousand and fourteen, I tweeted. Oh. oh, my next my next
1: tweet will be when I have a Lamborghini.
0: My next tweet will be a pic of my Lamborghini, and then six years later, I put done at twenty three. Success, Israeli, an accident, and that was the fourteenth of that is July two thousand and twenty. Just probably like that is
1: amazing. I'm gonna show I'm gonna show that show that to to, to the cameras there. I hope you can I hope you can see that, and and that and that all of you, I will show all the cameras just to make sure that we get it on all the cameras. But that that's mad, mate. That's no, mad. I've never I, I, I don't I don't think I've seen this tweet I'm that's
0: almost a little bit embarrassed because I know one how cocky it is to tweet that and two how kind of superficial it is to have that goal but it's just a perfect example of, of what we've talked about
1: my next tweet will be a pic of my Lamborghini that is mad mate that is mad that And it is. was just obsession it was just like that's, that's, that's was... relentless I might write that tweet tonight <laughs> 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 do yeah. you know what I'm saying but it just goes to show you so there, the essence of the the essence of that was like there was a lot of feeling in that, like, and I think yeah. I think mm-hmm. you have to I think I really believe that you have to feel mm-hmm. what you vision, and I think that's the difference between it coming into your life or, or staying away from you. I think it's the one piece that most people miss out on when it comes to this visualization.
0: And that that is what I feel like I've I've actually lacked over the last couple of years until recently where I re- really realized like i think back to those times where I had all this conviction and this belief and this feeling that these are the th- this is a life I want and this is you know an an inevitability for me once I kind of achieved a couple of the materialistic things and and ticked off kind of that side of things I've really had to then feel like i'd lost i've haven't got that feeling now for what whatever's next and it's only something i've worked on kind of over the last 6 months it's like okay what is my compelling f- vision for the future now what is it that i really really want and have that same feeling deeply rooted in me so
1: as as a young multimillionaire though how does it how do you keep yourself from your perspective constantly evolving
0: like we've talked about just constantly learning and just being able to have have the self awareness to sit with your own thoughts and have the uncomfortable conversations with yourself and think more about, you know, what are my belief systems that are serving me? What are my belief systems that aren't serving me?
1: Give me an example of some of the belief systems that you've dug out of your system, like in the last 12 months that haven't been serving you.
0: Um, I think, I think there's some examples one of them is so the the biggest thing the, the biggest trap you can fall into is is complacency and it was like if i'm earning x amount of money i'm doing really really well and this is more about raising your standards but it's like i need to stop thinking that this kind of money or this level of wealth is is enough because so once you're making that kind of money You feel like, oh, okay, I'm I'm comfortable And then you lose that, that drive to push higher So it's like, right, I need to believe that I need to be earning Or I want to be making this Or I want to be achieving this So maybe that's not a, a perfect example of, of a belief system um, Well it
1: well it, it is in essence Because what you're saying is um, You know, you don't As a young man You don't want to get to a certain level of Of earning capacity And then think to yourself, oh I've made it
0: so that's yeah that was be, the belief be, be, because
1: yeah. because because it's like if this is what you can achieve at this age okay what what um, now now you now you should just think to yourself oh now i'm fucking excited there because now i've got like i've got a 30-year run left in me very true i got a 30-year run left in me like it would fizz me up walking out here every day looking at this apartment thinking fuck me if this is what i can achieve by this age imagine what the fuck I can achieve then by this, by this, by this, by this. And because I'm playing long-term games here, I'm in the same game. I just got to scale the game I'm in. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the way I would use this. And I I suppose that's the way I've used my apartment in the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. Similar to you, yes, I rent it, but you have to be in a position to be able to afford the fucking rent on the thing. For sure. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm sat there and I'm looking out at the view and the view's fucking abundant, I'm like, this, this was, this was, I, I visioned that too, that life, yeah. I visioned that from when I was a kid in Australia, I don't know, a geography trip, when, I, a geography, um, lesson back in 2015 when I'd done the homework, someone presented the Gold Coast, changed my fucking life. No way. <laughs> Serious, bro, like, it's mad. Sat at the back of the class with Kamal Danji at the time, he'll tell you about it, and I said, I tapped him on the shoulder, I said, mate, I'm gonna fucking live there. Love mad, that. Mad, mad how it all
0: happened. And at that point, how much did you really believe... That that was going to
1: be... Well, I was absolute on everything. Yeah. And, and, and one thing about... It's like when I started this podcast, mm-hmm. right? I recorded the first episode of this podcast. No word of a fucking lie. On a fucking... F- on a laptop sat in the spare room. <laughs> okay. I recorded it. It was like 20 minutes long. Or it's called my 2020 vision. It's still on the podcast. Right? Okay. It's still on the podcast. I recorded that episode. I walked up to the kitchen where my dad was. Cause, and I'm glad I said it to my dad. Because my mum's a more safer person
0: mm-hmm.
1: and You should never say things You should never tell your goals to safe people Because they'll always tell you to be careful And when someone says be careful to you If you're weak minded in that moment You take that energy on And it shuts down your thinking So never ever fucking say anything To anyone who plays safe Very Right, true. Yeah. Never give your goals away To someone who plays safe I went out to the kitchen Fucking lucky it was my dad I swear down it's pro- I fucking thank God every day. It's fucking not, not God because I'm not religious, but I believe in a higher thing. But mm-hmm. anyway, I go up to the kitchen. I said, Dad, I've just found my purpose. I've just found what men are do Right? He went, What do you mean? I went, I'm going to be one of the best podcasters I've ever lived. I'm going to absolutely send it. He mm-hmm. goes, No, word of a lie. His words to me were, That sounds, that, that, that that sounds right up your alley. You should do that. And I went, yeah, I should. And that was it. And then I went on the path.
0: Amazing.
1: If I'd said that to my mum, and I love her to bits, but yep. if I'd said that to my mum, she would have said, that sounds risky. That sounds, and I'm now, now all of a sudden I'm fucking questioning it. Mm-hmm. I'm questioning it. And that's the difference. You should never say, when you're, when you have conviction, I had fucking conviction at that point. Mm-hmm. Conviction. You can't break it. You cannot break fucking conviction. And I am so determined, so absolute on what I expect this podcast to do and where it's fucking going. Mm -hmm. And I won't ever let anyone fucking lower that energy. And i build a wall around it. And I'm just so glad that I said it to the right person. Mm -hmm. And really, if I'm honest with you, you shouldn't say it to anyone. You should just be absolute in your own mind. But I was just lucky that I said it to my dad. That's,
0: yeah, that is that's so true. I've never, never thought about that. I understand sometimes, well, when you share goals with people, are you really sharing it? What What is the reason you're sharing the goals? Is it because you want the validation? And there's sometimes this trap mentally when you kind of say, oh, I want to do X. You're saying it because you get that dopamine hit yeah. when you say it, which kind of fulfills almost that desire, but it should be. Say the most important thing
1: you can understand is saying it is not the fucking achievement. Mm -hmm. Saying it isn't the achievement. No one cares. No no, no one gives a fuck about what you're doing, how you're doing it, if you're successful or not. The only time people care is when you've got something that they haven't got, or when you're you're achieving some level of status that they've not got and they want, and they can hate on you. That's the only time. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that. That's it. You have to get yourself round and. Andrew Tate at the moment is fucking exploding, but he says some really good stuff in 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 in, in amongst all the stuff that he says, but <laughs> which is designed to trigger you of which, course and he's a great marketer at doing that, but he says the earlier men or men or women same can get together as a group of like five six ten and and, and say to each other, right, we all want success. We all want the same thing. We're not going to fuck each other over. We're just going to go together and we're just all going to fucking support each other and fucking move forward. The better it gets. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's, it's no coincidence mm-hmm. that you go to Marbella and who's fucking in the house? You've got Jimmy from Hair, who set up fucking Hairburst. You've got all the, all the other boys that set up mad businesses. Mm-hmm. You've got a hundred and, Fifty million pound plus businesses in the fucking room with you. It's no fucking coincidence that you are exactly what you're surrounded by. No coincidence at all. And and it's just about the key things I want you to take away from what from that fucking rant I've just been on is the fact of like be careful who you tell your 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 deepest convictions to because they'll make you they could potentially if you're weak minded make you make you make you challenge your conviction as in like oh is can I do that can I do that and then now all of a sudden you're not in the absolute stage And it's only in the absolute stage that you can go and create that abundance and, cre- and, and create the vision which is what you've done here because you were absolute about it you were absolute when you were driving down that fucking country road in that fucking polo with 120k on the clock you're driving down there <laughs> oh, it didn't matter you felt like it yep. and you were absolute about it mm-hmm. and it's the absoluteness that's
0: created 100% mate very true. Very true. I need to reflect on that more. I think and uh, instill that feeling back into my life.
1: Because some 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 of the feeling I get yeah. from 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 you is that you
0: don't feel like you've achieved enough. Um, I, I, there's this weird conflict that I get. Almost, I don't want to say the word imposter syndrome because I know imposter syndrome syndrome is silly. But when I come on podcasts like this and I tell my story, because I'm so infatuated with what's about to happen in the future and what I haven't achieved yet. To me, I feel like I'm, I'm at, still at level one of a level 200 journey where I've got 199 levels still to to push through. And so it feels weird sharing kind of my story, my insights for what I learned so far because I feel like, fuck, I've got so much further to go. But um, that comes with the transition I kind of made in mentally over the last year or two of just thinking longer term games because it's only probably about... 12 or 18 months ago that I think fuck this is what I want to do for the next however many decades of my life and then as yeah. soon as I made that decision it's like well the game's changed the, right the game's changed because you know I'm 25 now I'm not going to be I've got 30 years until I'm 55 what can I achieve over 30 years like 30 years is a very very long time and so with that it's like if I have a shit week fuck it I've got 30 years left to play this game and yeah, that's probably why I, I, I come across.
1: No, because because there's there's two reasons why I say it. And Patrick Bet David um, mm-hmm. said this. It's like when he when he achieves a certain level of deals, um, he's in like he's in like life, not life insurance, um, some form of insurance. Mm-hmm. He's insurance is in, in American. He's got a successful YouTube channel called Valutainment. Yeah, but he was saying when he hits certain goals on YouTube, he'll take a month off. And he'll just sit with it and he will celebrate it and cement that level of success into his life. Okay. Right. And I'm just saying like maybe maybe you need to uh, take that, take maybe a week or take five days and just celebrate it. Here I am. I fucking deserve this. I fucking won. Cool. We'll celebrate. You don't need to fucking live there, mm-hmm. but definitely celebrate it and don't don't ever feel any form of imposter syndrome because you don't need to don't need to feel it because because if you feel if you feel anything like the word imposter or any any of these things they're all low vibrational words sure. low vibration attracts low vibration right so you you know even by mentioning these names you're bringing a lower vibration around you mm-hmm. and you you're you're allowing yourself to question what shouldn't be questioned when you should be, when when the proof is you live this life You've generated this much. You've done this thing. It's like, well, fuck me. Well, let's just celebrate it, cement it, and then go and fucking boom, 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 boom and achieve it. Well, I just think question
0: absolutely everything. Very true. Very true. I had this conversation like with on my friend Matt's podcast a couple nights ago. Are you back? Are you back on Matt's podcast? Yeah, I you did. An- say, I did another episode with him yeah. um, a few days ago. So recently, for the Cambridgeshire deal that we talked about earlier i just had the first cgis come through off the site showing the homes because up until now one when we go to site it is just a grass field and so yeah. it's, it doesn't it's like oh, i've just bought a field and then the only kind of designs we've seen are just two-dimensional that the architects have kind of drawn but then seeing these then they're on my instagram these beautiful like photo realistic cgis of what this site is going to look like it was like a pinch me moment where i was like if I used to show this to my eighteen year old self who was just failing to even find his first property deal, i'd be like no way that that i couldn't and like this is the shit that I dream of, but yeah, when you're so aggressively trying to get to the next level, I am guilty and I think a lot of people are of just failing to recognize wow, yeah. and the quote I keep coming back to is you have to remember that time where you dreamed about everything you have now."
1: Well, it's like the building, the building blocks of achieving the next level are grounded in gratitude. Say that again. The, the building blocks of achieving the next level in your life are going to be grounded by gratitude. I like that. And I've just literally thought of that, and that's no one else's quote. I swear down. Yeah, I swear down. I Love just that. thought. I just literally thought of it. So if anyone else nicks that, you're a motherfucker. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? Like
1: that—that—that yeah. that, that is literally what I just thought right then isn't it?
0: I'm going to tweet that quickly me, me, before
1: <laughs> I can't even remember what I just said, to be honest. But like, i just, I just think, yeah. When you ground, when you ground in the in the gratitude of what you've got and what you've mm-hmm. achieved, you can go and ascend and achieve what you need to go and do. For sure, but it's all about you will have to come back to to self. And it's like if you're gonna be if you're gonna be one of these people that's const- constantly constantly self developing, like mm-hmm. I th- like we both are, and we both like to question everything. It's like why wouldn't you question why you feel some form of imposter syndrome over here for this, this, and this and this? Yeah, because it's just. As Soon as you, because I ta- I, gar- I guarantee you this Tyler, right? I guarantee you what you think the reason is of why you feel that way isn't the reason, because when you do, have you've you've heard of the five whys, right? So so you say to yourself, okay, why do I feel imposter syndrome? And then you answer it, okay. And well, then you go what, and why, why, yeah. why, 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 why? Mm-hmm. Once you get to the fifth why, now you're starting to get to the real shit. If you don't lie to yourself and you keep answering that question, why? 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 You get to the subconscious belief and then when you get to the subconscious belief, if you can change the subconscious belief, which is like 98% of the whole fucking game, if you can change the subconscious part of that belief,
0: mm-hmm.
1: now you can tr- change the conscious part of your life because now you took, all, took it out of your deeper, deeper subconscious mind.
0: Very true. I've, I've heard Dean Graziosi talk about that actually, but I've never yeah. never done that exercise and I can imagine each layer deeper that you go it's going to get harder and harder to answer the question but
1: well imposter syndrome because you mentioned uh, sure you mentioned imposter syndrome um you just be that 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 showing up in your life in showed up in your life in this conversation right Mm -hmm. but that showed up in other areas of your life in the past that you've probably forgotten yeah that probably came from deeper stemming moments you know you could have felt imposter you could feel imposter syndrome now argument's sake! Based on what you've got and what you've generated in your life, which is which is uh, which is vastly successful, mm-hmm. but that could stem from you getting rejected by a girl at school from for a date, like, and you don't know about it. And this is where m- most entrepreneurial people go wrong because they don't they 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 look at they look at the word imposter, they look at anything that they're feeling, mm-hmm. and they're trying to address the feeling. And I'm saying, fuck the feeling. What's the cause?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah? Because it's the cause that no one goes into. Yeah. And I like to question not only the feeling, but where's okay, where does that actually fucking come from? Where's it deep rooted into? Because when you can get to the deep rooted problem, Mm -hmm. you can solve it and it's like what I call the biggest domino. Knock the biggest domino over subconsciously as to what the true issue is. Now you can change the rest of your life and you can grow through and accentuate and move forward. And you be and mate, I'll tell you what, when you do it. You'll fucking call me, and you'll be like, "Do you know what, Frankie boy? You're not such a ball bastard after all." I feel like I'm at a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. saying. No, just I saying, totally like, agree. I, I only said that to you because I know that me and you have the relationship where where where, where, where I can push. Like, yeah, please. And, and, and because I want you to win, mate. Like you've already winning, but I want you to know that you're winning and to 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 win more. So it's like, well, well, fucking. I just, I just, It's just something that changed my life when I learned that mm-hmm. because I was always addressing. The ex- the exterior or surface level shit mm-hmm. When I didn't address the things And i tell you where it manifested in my life It manifested around women Because I was attracting a certain type of woman And a certain type of relationship Because I felt unloved by my mum mm-hmm. And the reason I felt Unloved by my mom at the time was a bullshit reason, but until I uncovered it and then put it to bed and got over it and did something like that, I was going to con- continue on the same pattern and asking myself why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just it's just that because I, because I went in a few wise deep and I sought some help on on, on going into that depth to get that information out. But when you pull that information out, it frees
0: you mm-hmm.
1: because now you're like, oh, okay, what a silly fucker. Now I can fucking move forward. You can't move forward when you don't know what you're looking at. And you also can't move forward when you're looking at the wrong thing.
0: And that's sometimes where you need somebody else to help you find... Perspective, mate. Perspective. perspective.
1: And I think that's the beautiful thing about your whole journey is the fact that you've always seeked mm-hmm. other people's perspectives of what do I not know mm-hmm. so I can go and ascend in this property development game, in this rear development, in this fucking... I don't know this. Okay, what is it I don't know? Why am I... I love that. That that is a, that is a part of your skill level that you've nailed in every area of your life. Say, and this is no different. This is like no different.
0: Very true. Very true.
1: But yeah. Don't don't quote me. <laughs> you to invoice me for the
0: therapy session. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I, just, man,
1: I just I just I just I just I just like to I I feel I feel like it adds a lot of value to to the guys listening to this because um I don't know if any of you guys have ever felt this but and I don't know if you've ever felt this Tyler it's like at some points in your life you feel unworthy in certain areas Mm -hmm. right and that unworthiness should be you should seek to uncover it so that it doesn't keep compounding because everything compounds right I mean let's just look look back at you and what you're doing you when you started after a few deals, did things start to compound in a way that became more and more financially freeing for you?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, before you know it, you've got six figures in the bank account and your friends are still a university, you know, counting the pennies, to figuring out their budget for the week. And yeah, you feel, well, one, ego steps in, but then two, there is that yeah. element of, you know, do I really deserve this? And that, that never actually became an overwhelming belief for me. Um, obviously the question pops into your head time to time, but I've always kind of had the self-confidence a lot. I've spent the time learning, I've done the work. Um, how do you I deserve def- what I have.
1: How do you, different- you do deserve what you have. You 100% fucking do deserve what you have. Um, how do you differentiate between good and bad ego? How have you differentiated between that? Because I think, you, because you need
0: ego. You 100% need ego. It what it what drives us to do what we do, right? Um, how do you differentiate between good and bad ego?
1: I'm hitting you with questions today.
0: Though. <laughs> it's a deep one. It's just a simple yeah. answer would probably be you just have to question: Is this belief serving me, and does it align with my bigger mission? And is it a hurdle? Is it getting in the way? And the answer can be can be yes or no, but um, what do you think? I
1: I ask myself when I want something, mm-hmm. or I ask myself, is this genuinely for me, mm-hmm. or is this to prove something to someone? I don't need to prove it to. Because in my life. My life up until the age of twenty nine was a fucking dick swinging competition. It was like, oh, I could do this. I've done this. I've been. Oh, I was a world boxing trainer. Fuck it. Oh, it's all just, just mate. Not worth a wank in the wind. <laughs> all, the wank all, in the wind. all, all predicated on trying to prove something to someone that didn't matter. Someone who didn't even exist. It was just like an alter ego. Of, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? I, I always question now like this podcast, I do this podcast fun, first and foremost because I fucking love it, right? Mm-hmm. I fucking love it. it lights and I can tell. I can
0: feel that, that yeah. even off air before this, I can tell this is your art and this is where you feel like most in your art and most alive. It lights me up because I
1: get to meet meet and, and converse with people like yourself and I get to share that with the world. I have I have a few rules with podcasting. One one rule is this. One, I have to enjoy it, so I have to talk to people that I want to fucking talk to. Mm-hmm. I don't let anyone tell me who I'm talking to. I talk to who I want to fucking talk to, and I book who I want to book. The second thing is, like have the when I have the genuine conversations that I want to have, and when I talk to people, as a byproduct of that. It usually, hopefully, adds value to people that are listening, and in a lot of cases, from the messages that I've had, changed a f- few fucking thousand lives along mm-hmm. the way. And that's fucking feel that lights me up. And that's two things. As long as I'm doing that, I'm fucking happy. You know, but it's for the right reason. But the first reason it always has to be for, mm-hmm. from my personal experience, is it has to be for you. Because if it's not for you, first and foremost, in a selfish way, not in a not even in a selfish way. I'll take that back, not even in a selfish way, but it has to be for you first. Because when it when it if 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 it serves you and allows you then to serve others as in it serves you say so your business serves you in terms of cash flow but it serves others in terms of value in the marketplace right mm-hmm. when it does those two things then it, they, it it can coexist and it can move forward it can't with that without those without those two things because if it's just if I was just doing this for others right without serving myself first I'd burn out wouldn't I that's why most podcasts fall off because it's either to serve their fucking yeah serve their purpose completely and do- doesn't serve the audience or it serves the audience and doesn't serve them and that's what i've that's 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 from my 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 side of the coin that's that's kind of what it is to me
0: so what 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 was the moment then you say up until like you were twenty nine or whatever that everything was purely well ego driven what was that moment what was that switch where it all changed um the moment
1: for me, I... Okay, I'll tell you this. It's a fucking hard story to tell this, but... Um,
0: have you told this before? Yeah I, ha- audience I have, familiar, yeah, I
1: have, but I don't know if I've been in this depth. Okay. I set myself a goal when I knew I wasn't good enough at boxing to be a professional boxer. I thought, I know I'll be a... Prof- Professional boxing trainer because then I can be around boxing mm-hmm. and I can do it at a high level and I can prove my worth that I didn't need to prove to anybody just to, to this imaginary worth proving person <laughs> right yeah, yeah. right yeah. so then I pursued this I chased it for five years five years later it's now 2017 December 2017 So it might have been before I was 29. So, the, the, no, it probably was 20. Yeah, probably December 2017. It probably was 29. Anyway, Jeff Horn, Gary Cochran. I'm in Jeff Horn's corner with Frank Greaves, walking out. Michael Buffer, 14,000 people, stadium full of people. Blah, 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 blah. This is the epitome of what I've dreamed. I'm now walking out. For a world title fight, Michael Buffer, four different channels, US, UK, blah, 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 everything, everything, I fucking dreamt this moment. I'm stood there, next to Michael Buffer, and he's introducing the two fighters, and we're stood in the middle of the ring at this point, I'm stood there, and I'm looking out, and it's fucking 14,000 people, bro. And the words that I thought in my head was Fuck me bro You've lent your ladder Against the wrong fucking wall Because this This is not you man This is This is I'm going to say some words now And, 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 and you'll realise why they hit me so hard So I thought that And then I thought I feel dead inside I feel like a part of me has died we walk out the ring, we go back to the, cha- we, we, we the fight goes on, we had to pull him out with cuts in the 10th or 11th round, he's lost the fight, we are walking back to the changing rooms. I get back to the changing rooms, I think to myself, who should I call? I don't know, I don't, know. I feel fucking terrible, like, I just, I don't know, suicidal would be a fucking bad way to put it but I felt fucking empty and I've never felt so empty in my entire life. I've never felt like cold sweats and horrible like I felt at the time ever in the history of mankind, but I just knew something wasn't right, yeah? I'm in there. I go outside the change room. I thought, I've got, I've got, and my, and my relationship with my mum is my mum's always loved me unconditionally, but I never saw it. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't repaired my relationship with my mum and how I thought about her, her feeling towards me and all that stuff at this point. But I thought I just have to call her, so I called my mum, and i couldn 't get through, and I ringing her and ringing and ringing her around and 'm thinking to myself fucking anyway she calls me and um we started having this conversation, and then she says to me about Rocco and Rocco was my sister, was my sister 's son, and at <sighs> about the time the fight started, his fight started. And what I mean was, in the moment that I was in that, in the moment while I'd been thinking in that corner that everything about my life had died inside and that I'd leant my ladder against the wrong wall and I felt everything that I said and I felt dead inside. <laughs> Rocco had gone to hospital. They'd found a hole in his heart, but they didn't, That he'd gone, he'd, he'd been in, he'd, he'd gone to hospital and, um, Bear in mind this kid's not even six months years old six months old and he's and he's died for 12 minutes he's died for 12 minutes while I've while I've been in that boxing ring saying and I've thought the words dead dead inside and he um, they managed to rush him to, to to Cambridge and then on to London to, to to resuscitate and recover him and I don't know what it I don't know what it was and obviously he's recovered and he's a healthy boy now I don't know what it was about that situation and how it all came about and how the energy all moved that night but that night I realised two things one life is too fucking short to chase things just to prove a point to other people that was the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned was, life is so short that you should 100% go into whatever lights you up and fully, relentlessly pursue it, but also be present while you're doing it, because I was never present with my family, I was never present, I wasn't present in anything it was all to do with proving a point Mm -hmm. and that from that moment on my whole life kind of changed because of how much that deeply affected me and deeply shifted me And and I and I do I do believe in energy and I do believe in the universe and I do believe it does things to do yeah and I think it was a you know, I believe the universe, or this, or this greater thing, gives you warnings in life, and it gives you warnings in life to say you are going offline of what you should be pursuing in life. How's about you get back on it? Here's a warning. I think I think if I look back, I'd ignored Tyler a few warnings along the way mm-hmm. to, to this happening, and then I got this big fucking wake up call.
0: Well, wow.
1: and that. I've never spoken that depth about it before.
0: How long ago was that? Two
1: thousand December
0: two thousand seventeen. Wow! So almost five years.
1: Yeah, and that was that was pivotal because when because when I realised from my from my personal self that this wasn't right to pursue, it's it's then I started to to things started to be put into place to be able to pursue something else. But it, But I say that, that happened in two, December 2017. I didn't start the podcast till like 19 or 20 because there's so many things in your life that have to change. Once you learn, you've lent your ladder against the wrong wall, you don't just fucking boom, all of a sudden find it. No, you have to go in the pursuit of trying things because when you try things, you can now find out what works for you but Gary Vaynerchuk says it, you have to be willing to try, when you're willing to try, you can you can taste a lot of different things, and then you can see what works for you, and I'm just glad I found this, because this is what lights me up, and I've never been so happy, and purpose driven in my entire life, and even though I've never made a cent out of the podcast, I've turned down fucking shit out deals, because people want people to pump shit to people, I just won't do it, but I know I'm on the right path, and I know that, I know that the content that I can help put in people's ears by getting people like yourself on, I know that can deeply change people's lives and it can actually save people's lives because there might be someone listening to this right now who's got to this point and be like, do you know what, I wanted to give it all up, I didn't think there was nothing left for me, but you know, something Tyler said, something Frankie said, something I heard on this podcast might just fucking change the direction of their life forever. And that, and that means something to me.
0: And that's why I do it, mate. So if you could, who you are now, go back and have a conversation with yourself five years ago, having just been through that kind of, that moment, whether it was a breakthrough moment or whatever, what what would you say? Be kinder to yourself.
1: Be kinder to yourself and watch your fucking language. Yeah. When I say that and I swear in it, I don't mean actually watch your language in terms of like swearing, even though I do think, and I'm trying to get better at that myself. Watch your language in terms of your I am statements. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because they can compound either way.
0: Language patterns that you use. Language
1: patterns that you use that disempower your growth. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell yourself a story of what you're not, or you can tell yourself a story of what you're going to become. And I would ultimately always Try and create my future, Than try and dwell on my past. So powerful.
0: Love that. Yeah, I love that.
1: But yeah, I mean, I, I've never, I've never been in that depth on that. But that's why. It's a beautiful story. That's why I've, I'm so fucking. That's why it's not even about like downloads or viewers or all this shit like no 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 I know I'm on the right path it'll all come it'll all come it'll all come don't have to worry about all this other all this bollocks it's like no no go and have the conversation with Tyler because you want to have the conversation with Tyler and by the way record it because there might be some value in there for other people and that's it because I was going to have the conversation with you anyway right
0: we were almost having it before we started (laughs) recording it
1: yeah Yeah. it's just that it's just mad mate but like if there was some golden pieces of wisdom that Tyler Newman could drop on the world, and you know you can't you can't take your real estate with you. You can't take your money with you. You can't you can't even leave your course. Nothing, but you you could just leave a, a little bit of a little bit of what you've learned, the essence you've learned in your twenty five years at a high level of the game. What would it be? One
0: that we've spoken about has just been live a life of constant and never-ending learning and and improvement and getting yourself into rooms with people that are far ahead of you. Second thing would probably be think bigger. I believe one of the biggest bottlenecks on people's growth is not, um, it's, their inability to think bigger, and that can stem from just being not aware or exposed to kind of what is at the next level. And I mean, a pivotal moment for me. We spoke about Eman before this. Who, Absolute G. You've had on, you interviewed or had a podcast chat E-man with yesterday. Iman Gazi. There was. This was when I sort of moved back home in that transitional phase of my life where. I connected with Eman. He was, I want to say, probably like eighteen, nineteen at the time. He was kind of pulling in seven figures a year with his business, like just. And he's a he's a bright guy, and like when I say bright, his mind is incredible. But you know, he invited me to kind of a house gathering, kind of few drinks. We went, we went out to the club afterwards, and I met for the first time. Loads of people, two of them are my best friends now. And they just started telling me about kind of the numbers that they were doing in their business. Not like as a dick-swinging contest, but because actually, because everyone there was playing at such high level, it doesn't become a dick-swinging contest. It's just more like... It's a safe space. It's, it's a safe space. And so, you know, one of them was telling me, yeah, you know, we're on track to do like 350 grand this month. I was like, what do you mean, this month? And then another one was like, yeah, and we're like doing it. 200k, so like one guy say like, yeah, I just saw my business for like a few million quid, he was like 23 years old and that for me, in my mind, before that moment was like, that wasn't even a possibility and all of these goals that I'd set myself prior to that moment, I was like, I was thinking too small, although yeah I wanted to like, you know, the nice car, the nice apartment, that was, that, that those goals were set, with like this apartment and the lifestyle and whatnot was set after that moment and for me, a lot of the bigger goals, like when I was much younger my late teens wanting to get like the supercar for example and whatever like for me that was like oh maybe when I'm like in my late 20s or whatever whatever but um yeah just being exposed to people that are far ahead of you and just opening up your mind to the fact that there is a much bigger game out there and I've only been exposed to a certain level like, yeah I've, I've hung around a few billionaires and I've kind of just had a glimpse of kind of how they live but I'm well aware there's there's levels to life that I'm not even aware of yet. And so the second piece of wisdom is definitely think bigger and force yourself to think bigger and getting get in rooms and around people that that will force you to think bigger. And with that, believe that you can do it. If one man can do it, so can you. Or if one woman can do it, so can you. And I, and I believe that with anything. And when I looked at kind of like that moment I talked to where I kind of met my friends that night and E-Man and saw these guys that were kind of like similar age to me but playing at a much higher level, I didn't think, I didn't have that negative self-talk or that language pattern was like, oh, I could never do that. It was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it, surely. Like, what do they have? We've all got access to the same resources. We've all got access to the same internet. And so, yeah, think bigger and believe that you can do it. And then, thirdly... probably just be to to just give without the expectation of return and just the more value you can give out yeah you'll you'll attract you'll attract the right people onto the bus yeah you 'll attract everything you 'll attract the people the money whatever, but just just give and look to provide value to the world and maybe lastly just surround yourself with winners like that is that 's the one thing I love the most like my guy friends, when we go out for dinner, like, they're just all fucking Gs. And winners question each other. And they hold each other accountable. And they call each other out on their shit. Yeah. Which is what I love about these boys. Because um, as much as we're all killing it, we're, we're not afraid to call each other out sometimes.
1: Well, you know, when when you're around someone else who also wants you to win, mm-hmm. they will call you out because they're like, yeah, you've, you've, you've achieved great things. Mm-hmm but you could do so much more if you answer this shadow or, or do this or plug this piece in or this and the other and that's the beautiful thing and it's not a, it's not um it's not a, it's such a positive environment to be around, you know, and such, it, it, it there's no, there's no backstabbing and all this kind of stuff. It's like, For as sure. you raise your energy, your, your whole, your whole life changes. It's all about raising you because, because what people, a lot of people don't understand about money is money is energy. Mm-hmm. And in, when you raise your vibration, you can attract more money into into your life. It's not. It's like you you use invariably a lot of other people's money, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To 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 leverage. To you still pay them for it, but you still. You, oh yeah, if, there's you, fair exchange you, for you, sure. You, you never you never ever question or think to yourself that you can't get money now because you you know how much other people's money is available.
0: There's an abundance of money out there.
1: Yeah, and. and what I yeah. want you guys to to leave with this parting statement is the fact of like, you know, money's created by man. It's printed on pieces of paper and they're printing more of it than ever. And it's just a question of like Grant Cardone says, it's like, who's got my money? You know, so the key points in this podcast is like, who's got your money? Am I in the right boat to row down this river mm-hmm. on? And if I want to go out to sea, why am I, why am I in a narrow boat that's built for the river? Like do you know what I'm saying so it's like you just just position yourself correctly and I'm sure a lot of you will smash it in life in whatever you want to do but that my friends is Tyler Newman and he is an absolute winner as winners can be mate. and I'm blessed to have been in your apartment thank
0: you so much well that man. was probably the most fun podcast I've ever done so uh, mate you can't say that me. Matt lives
1: next door <laughs>
0: yeah um, well <laughs> yeah it's definitely
1: yeah. I, I love your energy man no mate and, I appreciate it man. yeah I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. And guys, do me a solid favour here. If you've got any form of value out of this podcast, how podcasts grow, and I'm sure a lot of you know this, but it's like, you know, even if you listen to 60 episodes, it helps if you share every episode, if it resonates with you. It helps if you put it in other people's ears. It helps if you tell your friends. Not just once, uh, episode three. I'm talking about episode 37, episode 100, episode 99. I need as much help as possible putting this And my passion for this game in as many people's ears as possible to help, you know, put Tyler's wisdom in as many people's ears as possible. And I'd appreciate all of your help moving forward in sharing as much of this content as possible. And that's all I ask from you. That is literally all I ask from you. The fact that you you stay to the end, as I always think there'll be value in it for you, and that you share it with as many people as possible. That's all I can ask. And I hope you've had uh, a blessed listening experience and got a lot out of this, a lot of wisdom. And uh, much love to you all.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee podcast.